I'm Evelyn Mulrow and I'm the CEO of Cancer Trials Ireland and you're all very welcome to our very first podcast where we want to really start to unpick the clinical research environment in Ireland and what tools are out there to support uh, the activity of our members who are doctors and nurses and translational researchers you know, within the health service. And we're really, really uh, privileged to be joined by Anna Therese today, who's the head of research and evidence in the health service executive. And, you know, in my role, I've worked in, in Cancer Trials Ireland now for six and a half years. And before that, I worked with, with IPOSI. And, you know, we've been involved in trying to really generate a discussion around the importance of embedding research in our health service environment and so it was great when Anna when you came to town <laughs> um, and took on the role because really you were the first person to take on a role like this within the HSE. Would that be fair to say? Yes uh, I think so. Um, well first of all thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you today. No problem. I, I joined the HSC at the end of uh, 2017, so four years ago now. And uh, I believe there have been some people in a similar position before, but not formally. So I think I am the first person that was uh, appointed as a, with a full-time role um, to do this this job. Yeah, so I suppose it was, it was timely because there was a lot of things uh, happening also at that time. Yeah. And your own background, like, did you, you're, you're obviously, um, you're not the Theresa's of Ireland, right? So, so where, <laughs> you know, uh, you certainly. Know. <laughs> so where, so you, you actually, you were working in DCU beforehand, weren't you? I was, yeah. So you can, as you can tell by my accent, yeah. I wasn't born in Ireland. But um, I, funny enough, I have spent more time in Ireland than I have spent in my in my yeah. uh, home country in Spain. So I I studied biology in the Complutense University in Madrid, and then I moved into health research. So I did my master's in neuroscience, and then my PhD was in. Uh, biomedical science about Helicobacter pylori and the impact of the bacteria in the gastrointestinal epithelium. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It was true that uh, uh, during my PhD, I made connections in Ireland. And then I came back to work in Trinity with uh, Professor Dermot Keller in the Department of Clinical Medicine in St. James's Hospital. Uh, to continue my work in Helicobacter, I got a funding from the Marie Curie scheme in the EU. And that was the, uh, it's, a, it's a great time uh, for me. I, I love the, the research activity, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the hospital and the, that in, interface, you know, between the academic and the, and the hospital was a, a very unique, I suppose, a place to be. I, I did enjoy that very much. And I knew Professor Dermot Kelleher quite well, you know, back, he's very much into, you know, he was very much into patient involvement in research as well as bringing clinical research into the, into, into a hospital environment, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, Dermot was a a great man, he was a great mentor as well. I think Mm. he was instrumental in the, the getting the funding for the clinical research facility 
in James's hospital. So then he, I suppose we, we part our different ways and he now doesn't live in Ireland anymore either. No, um, so I, I, I suppose I discovered my, my passion wasn't really lecturing, uh, despite the fact that I love to research very much. I, I didn't really see myself, uh, pursuing an academic qualification so then I um so during my time as a researcher I was I was working as a senior researcher with with Irma for a number of years and I had an opportunity to try different things you know I try lecturing and I try we went into we launched a spin out company and and I got a, a, a I suppose a taste for what management was and and then I moved to DCU. So in DCU, I was uh, working as um, in the area of research support, um, research management, research administration for a number of years. And then I became the director of research there. And That's I a very with- big job, Anna, director of research in DCU. <laughs> the way you just gloss over that. And I became the director of research. So, so yeah, that must have been a fascinating time to be in that role. It was, yeah. Like... Uh, there was a lot to be doing, but I was working with a great team. So uh, the, the research support team were uh, and are a, a great bunch of people, uh, very knowledgeable, very professional. But also Professor Alan Harvey was the vice president for research at the time. He was also a great mentor to me, so I learned a lot from him. Uh, we worked on the strategy, uh, designed the strategy and putting the strategy into practice was a great challenge. But um, it was fantastic. It was a great learning opportunity for me. So I worked, I was there for five years. And then this opportunity in the HSE came along. And it was it was really a, a, a chance to get back into health, you know, because when I was in DCU, I was the director of research of all of it, I suppose. And health was only a part of it. So coming back to the HSE, was, it was you know, that opportunity uh, to do what I really like. And here we are. And you have a real passion, um, I, I would su- I would suggest, from that <laughs> career, you know, um, for driving research in, in the health environment. And, and I suppose that's where we are right now. So, you know, you've been in the role through a very challenging time within the HSE, mm. within the world, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, in terms of the pandemic and... I mean, were there learnings from that? Yeah, well, like, well, what have we learned is that, I mean, the health service is incredibly resilient. You know, uh, I think uh, that if we can get through pandemic and then on top of that, the cyber attack and, and, and be alive at the other end, it really says a lot. But the, the staff in the front line are really incredible and uh, I suppose I, I have a different, uh, I, I'm not that close to the staff in the front line, but I would be uh, quite close to people in uh, the corporate services, I suppose, who are responsible for coordinating the whole thing. And and it was a, a really an incredible experience. Was, everybody was just working 24-7 just to get things up and running again. You know, people were redeployed to other jobs just to help out and it was it was an incredible you know experience of of you know solidarity i guess yeah and and i think um we i i witnessed recently a presentation from a clinical research nurse who was involved in a trial 
with COVID patients. And, you know, you look at, at some of our healthcare staff who were right at the coal face, you know, she put herself at risk, her family probably at risk going home every night after, you know, being exposed in that way during during the and you really we owe a debt um of gratitude to to all of those amazing heroic people who got us through. And I know there's so many of them, but it really struck a chord that we had a lot of clinical research going on, didn't mm-hmm. we, within the hospitals? We did. Uh, but I suppose the, the pandemic also highlighted the fact that uh, it, it was hard to get these things mm-hmm. up and running and that the systems weren't there just for the taking. And uh, you would probably miss the opportunities that we could have had if we had a more mature system with regards to clinical research and biobanking and all sorts of things. But at the same time, it was an opportunity to show to the public as well the importance of research um, and how much health research can uh, improve the life of patients. Um, so I suppose they take the good with the bad. I think everybody, start, well, I certainly know plenty of people that became experts in science and reading academic papers you know, within that period, because every, the whole world was looking for looking to research. And, and I think they're, I think you're right. I think people appreciate it more. What happened with the COVID um, National Ethics uh, Committee, which was set up during COVID, you know, for any trials that were taking place, you know, around that that area, it was really positive because it had an impact on, on the development and I suppose the acceleration of the setting up of NREC because we were able to kind of mm. show, look, look. Yeah. Yes, yes. So well, that was an incredible achievement to get that committee up mm. and running in such a short time. It really was a yeah. very, very helpful. And we would have seen that ourselves. And I suppose that brings me to the next point. You know, we're we're always trying to work together to look at those bottlenecks. You know, where's the next bottleneck uh, to getting a cancer trial up and running in Ireland? And um, one of the things that, that really, you know, we need to spend time thinking about is the governance. And I, and I know, you know, you've recently launched the National Framework for Governance Management and Support of Health Research. Why, why was the framework published now? And, and I, I, and I think I know the answer to this. How long did it take to get to this point? <laughs> Well, why why was it published now? Uh, I suppose it, it was meant to be published last year, but um, between the cyber attack, uh, the pandemic, uh, really those two things, we, we nearly lost a, a year of our work program because we don't work in isolation. Um, my office, my team, we are constantly engaged with other people within the system. And if the system is engaged in, you know, the responding to the COVID problem or, or the cyber attack of others, it's very hard to get any traction. So it was inevitable, I guess, you know, we're all distracted and trying to help. So we lost a year, but, but it's not all lost. And I suppose that the framework didn't come out of nowhere either. So the framework is the first output of the HTC action plan for health research, which we launched um, in 2019. Uh, and that plan, the ultimate aim is to to develop a, a culture of research within the HSC and within the HSC funded organizations. But to get to that, so I suppose the, the plan uh, arose uh, out of a lot of uh, scoping work we did during 2018 and trying to understand, you know, what research was going on, just clinical and non-clinical. And that was a, a labor of of 
love in itself is really hard to get the data, even to put together that, that benchmark report and, and also try to understand what mechanisms were there to support research, what infrastructure, what um, capability. And uh, we realized that there was very little within the health service itself. And with, with that level of I suppose, um, organizational capacity, the research was never going to be embedded as part and parcel of what we do. So one of the first outputs of that plan was to develop a research governance framework to, to really commence that journey. You know? And just in terms of when you said it was hard to get the numbers, you know, in terms of what was happening, is that because we're just not good in terms of capturing our data within our health service? You know, and I, I think that, and I know that's a tr- tough question, but. Well, no, no, it's not because we're not, we're not collecting no. the research activity. We're just not. So the main sources of information were the research ethics committees. Uh, we look at articles. Uh, we look at the outputs, I guess. We did some surveys. And we, with with a bit of information from here and from there, we were able to patch up more or less uh, some sort of a picture, you know. So I would love to repeat the exercise in a number of years when we're more prepared to do something like that and compare with the original and see the difference. But I suppose research is not necessarily embedded as 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 part of health service delivery per se. Sometimes it's something that takes place on the side. Um, and, 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 and I think part of the reason for that is because there is a lack of knowledge about what research can bring, you know, how can research, uh, not just clinical research, but all it's all sort of health research and, and the benefits that that can bring to to a service like the the ones that that we provide. Do you think patients get a better standard of care in a health research environment from from your own perspective? Well, absolutely. Uh, it is clear. I mean, there is international publications to to show that health services where um, health research is part and parcel of their processes is part of what they do. They deliver better care. They have a more innovation. They deliver better quality services. There's more choices for their patients. And so it is, it is obviously if you research is part of what you do, you have a then an informed way of go about things. You can use the data to inform decision making and to, it's another opportunity to interact with your patients in a different level as well. You know, that connection. Yeah. And how do you feel, you know, like, you know, we, we talk about patients, but patients are, are they going to be involved in this governance, are they going to be involved in how we make decisions? So, you know, the PPI and patient involvement in decision making and clinical research is, is massive and is going to be massive in the new clinical trials directive, which is great because uh, it'll be part of the structure of that. C- can you speak to that around around the framework? Yeah, I think uh, obviously the patients, but it's not just patients, uh, yeah. because not everybody that participates in research is a patient, you know. So we, I suppose we talk about research participants and that may include patients, but it could, it could include their families, their carers or uh, other people in their circle as well. 
and they're not always patients. So uh, they, they, one of the key principles of the framework is that participants need to be at the center of what we are doing and that their opinions and their uh, feelings and their understanding, all of that needs to be taken into account uh, when you're doing research. So we've, we've put together an advisory panel, patient advisory panel to, to help us in our journey. You know, they were involved in the framework and, and going forward, we have patient representatives on all our working groups. Uh, and I think they, for me, it's a new experience. I, I never uh, worked with patients before, but uh, working with our patient advisory group has been a, a great learning experience for me. Um, and, and they're really pushing us to make things clearer, clearer, clearer. <laughs> Everything we bring to them is always too complicated. You know, they just really, they, they, they put us to our bases, you know, to make sure that we, what we deliver is not just something that we can understand, you know, something that they can understand as well. And, and they bring their perspectives to everything. It's been really an amazing journey. We're seeing that in Cancer Trials Ireland with our new um, patient consultants committee. Well, it's not new, but it's relatively new. Um, and, you know, we're getting to a point where some of those involved will be coming up with their own research ideas and, you know, our clinicians will be coming in as as the kind of number two <laughs> named researcher on the publication, which is where we want to be, you know. And and I think it does. There's a richness to that kind of engagement. Mm. You know, we've got a patient, uh, the chair of that committee sits on our board and it does drive discussions in a, in a direction that, you know, not everyone would always think about. Absolutely. And, but obviously it's it's really they're crucially important to what, what we all do. Mm. In terms of the, just going back to the to the framework, are there key provisions that 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 need to happen, um, in the next couple of years that you that you need to see? So the the framework is uh, developed around a number of of principles, um. So I, I don't want to you know give you a, a long you know, know. drawn yeah. out explanation of what the framework is all about, but it has a number of principles, uh, and. Do you want me to talk about the principles? Do you know what I what I really would like to talk about is you know from from the how am I going to put it into practice? <laughs> yeah, the, and the activity at the moment, right, is we've got a fantastic new national research ethics committee, and I do think that's going to make a massive difference um, for for some of the work that we're involved in, but also other organisations in other disease areas will be able to use that committee for drug trials. You know, um, but we're you know we're still. We're still going to every single ethics committee for every other type of study, whether it's a biobank study or a, a translational study or a medical device. But but now we've got through the new governance within a, the hospital framework, we've got on GDPR, we've got data protection officers who are representing regions and hospital groups. It, like, how do we, how do the two meet? Because, you know, you provide assurances to one group uh, and then you might have to provide a different set of sure assurances to another within a hospital group or mm. a rational research ethics committee. Will this framework help us around that? Because there's a lot of um, differing yeah. opinions right now. Yeah, I suppose, you see, uh, research uh, at the moment, health research is a very complex environment. So not only do you have the ethics, which is, I suppose, what people would have been more yeah. traditionally familiar with, but you have uh, all sort of uh, legislation and 
data protection regulations uh, also uh, a part of of the environment, making it very complex, I suppose, for for somebody who is not an expert in the matter to to understand, you know, what all, are all the things that need to be complied with. So staff need support, that's one thing. Uh, but also I think one of the key things that the framework would like to achieve is to establish some sort of national cohesiveness to make sure that there is a, a national approach as opposed to a singular approach. So every institution is taking their own, doing their own thing uh, or taking their own uh, approach to how they're, they interpret things as well. So data protection is is a big, big thing at the moment because so you may have resolved the, I suppose the, for, for the, the clinical trials, you have resolved the problem with the National Research Ethics Committee. But I suppose this kind of highlights the, the, uh, the National Research Ethics Committee has kind of brought to the fore a problem that was already there in that because of the lack of other, I suppose, other capacity to, to manage and govern research, the research ethics committees had taken, especially those in hospitals, they have a very important role on the governance as well as the ethics, while that's not necessarily their role. So when you take the, the I suppose, the, the ethics for the evaluation of the National Research Ethics Committee. So who does the governance then? So it is very important that a cohesive approach is taken to the evaluation of the data protection considerations of the project, as well as to the research ethics, as well as to other things. So there is not not only data protection and ethics, there is all the contractual side of things, the indemnities, insurance, risk assessments. So there is a lot of elements to governance. So we are one of the key first steps in the implementation of the framework is establishment of a national research governance management and support oversight board that will have representation from key people within the system. Uh, so to establish that cohesive approach, okay? And without that, you know, you need to, to work towards, you know, templates and processes and and pathways, you know, so that there is a way to do things and everybody understand that is the way and everybody's yeah. doing it more or less along the same lines, you know. I think that would be really welcome, you know, and I think we're in a period now of, you know, when when you're in that period of learning, which I think everybody is within the hospital environment, we are getting differing, you know, views um, from, from various groups. Um, we're certainly seeing that on the ground and it can lead to a lot of frustration, you know, for, for the staff. I can understand how staff are frustrated, but mm. if you think about... The timelines, I mean, they had the health research regulations were published in 2018 and mm. the data protection uh, uh, legislation. And, and that led to to a huge period of change where, you know, a lot of organizations didn't even have a data protection officer. And from that, we've, we've moved to a situation where not only organizations had to develop those uh, roles, but but those roles need to understand research. So organizations sometimes they don't understand research either. So it was, it, it is, it is being difficult, you know, to get to that stage where we understand not only the, the, the data protection considerations of, of running a hospital or running a service or whatever, but, but the research is very niche and a lot of issues appear in research that don't appear in other, um, scenarios, you know. So it's def- definitely been, a learning mm. curve for everybody. 
And I, and I think that that's good. But it's good to hear that we we're looking towards a national approach, because I think when it comes to that, like whether it's DPIAs or whether it's, you know, a view and that sounds really easy. But I know that's not simple because we, you know, we're all run, we're running trials within environments that are different. You know, you could have a voluntary hospital opening a trial and then a HSE hospital opening a trial and the governance. It's different, isn't it? It is different. You see, you have to take into account that while, especially in the data protection side of things, while the HSC operates as a single legal entity, the voluntary hospitals are independent legal entities from the data protection side of things. So uh, we, we, we need to work together. But, the, but, but I suppose from my perspective, I can only... Mm, I, I will have more of an influence, I guess, working on the DPO side of things with the HSE organizations than, than with the other legal entities. But the idea would be that you establish that dialogue, uh, you establish a network so that everybody can learn together and and we can agree. It's not about inflicting your ideas in other people. It's, it's about all working together and we agree this is the way we do things and everybody's doing them the same, whether you're a HC hospital or a voluntary hospital. I think that will bring a lot of added value, not not just for research, but I think for other matters as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's great to hear. And, and uh, we, we are very open to, to assisting there. I know there there was some moves in this space to bring people together through the, the Clinical Research Development Ireland group, which no longer exists now. And I know that there were group, there was one group with um, national, you know, DPOs represented. And like, is that the kind is, is, is that the kind of practical assistance your office can give to facilitate those kinds of conversations between, yes. you know, the various, yeah. Yeah, so obviously you also have the academic partners in this equation. So it's not something, so health research is complex, yeah. Yeah, okay, especially in Ireland, because you have HSC organizations, you have voluntary hospitals, then you have your academic partners, and all of them are into, intricately, you know, working together as if you have a collaborative project they're all in it together. So it is very important that that dialogue includes the academic partners as well. So the network that was uh, set up before, it was the Health Research uh, Data Protection Network. Well, as far as I know, they're still going on. Uh, but, but that is the type of approach that, that is necessary. So we, we've taken that approach to other things as well. So we are working with um, people from the hospital groups who are responsible for research management uh, within their organizations. And, and the idea is that we'll come up with a blueprint of guidance. You know, this is how things are done. Then we'll put that out to consultation so that in the end, you end up with a system that everybody had an opportunity to input into. Uh, and you you use everybody then use the same approach great it, and and that sounds and i suppose the sooner that happens the the, the better for for everyone really yeah that's that. i suppose that the the question is uh, when is it going to be done you know and it's it's not an easy thing to do you know there is a lot of people that are part of this equation you know, and data protection doesn't uh, work in isolation either from other things, you know, like research ethics and uh, contractual uh, arrangements and other things. So it's how, how do you bring cohesiveness to that system that it will be challenging. But um, my team is, is small. 
but we are growing and that that will um, even though we are small i suppose we have a, an important role to play in catalyzing these things and to bring in bringing research to the attention of senior management uh, and linking in with the data protection office in the hsc uh, with uh, and, and with other important functions within the hsc to bring research to their attention and to work with other functions yeah. To you know, to teach them about research and just to come up with with a way of, of working that works for everybody. And I think you know that you know you you could get to a point where we have the most perfect system of governance and and data protection and and no patients on trials <laughs> or, or or no research happening. And and that's you know how do we get the balance right? So you know when we implement because I mean I think back to unfortunately I remember the after the clinical trials directive of two thousand and two. And the impact that that had on activity and accrual numbers in Europe for clinical trials. And I know this clinical trials regulation coming down the track is, is hopeful. They're hoping that this will re- reverse that. But uh, the jury's out, you know, so in a much, you know, smaller scale w- within Ireland, um, we're pretty good at making things work, you know, when we put our, our minds together and our heads together. So I'd, I'd be hopeful if we do that here. But I, I am seeing already almost like a postcode lottery. You know, trials are opening in certain sites based on how, you know, willing um, the, the, the structures are to, to take on some risk and, and not, you know, in, in others. Uh, so it, that is a challenge. But that is the thing. You see, if you had, um, I, I think one of the reasons why research is still happening on the sidelines is because there is a bit of fear out there. Uh, if they don't understand it and they might perceive research as a, a risk. But if you have a proper governance framework to assure organizations that any risk has been properly managed and minimized and that they don't have anything to worry about, then that, I think that's the first step. But uh, but again, I think one of the principles of the research governance framework is that research has to be, so the risk of projects need to be assessed and governance needs to be proportionate to the level of risk. It's not, it's not appropriate to use uh, the same, you know, a, let's, a sledgehammer to crack a nut when it's not necessary, you know. Uh, and I think that is important that it is proportionate and that simple projects or easy projects can be expedited and others that require more consideration get get that consideration. But again, I think you're right. If you push only governance and nothing else, uh, then then it won't work. Um, the, this needs to be complemented with a process uh, for supporting staff, you know, support and infrastructure to to enable the research, not just to govern it and manage it. Uh, so obviously I think the, the, the objectives of the governance framework is to to make sure that the wheels are well greased, if you know what I mean, that there is processes to doing things that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you establish a new trial, that, you know, the, there is the, the collaborations with the academic partners are well established, there is templates for everything, and that things are just happen like, yeah, like they do in other countries. Well, here at the moment, it's really, you know, if you're looking enough to get rec approval, then, you know, you have to start trying to jump all the other hurdles that that one has to jump to get research uh, started. And and I, I actually have to say, I really admire people who do research on top of their clinical uh, 
the duties, you know, because it's, it's really hard just to get studies up and running. Uh, it's very hard. So it's, it's not enough to have good governance. It's, it's essential that supports are also put in place to help staff to do this, you know, but that's never going to happen if the services don't understand the value that research brings to them, you know. So when I uh, wrote the HSC Action Plan for Health Research, it was meant to be a three-year plan, but it turned into a 10-year plan. And the reason is because we are really departing for a low base, yeah. you know, and, and there is a lot to be done. And just like on that, I mean, it does speak to the whole protected time for both clinicians, but also for, for nurses, for, for others working in the, in the healthcare environment. You know, but we off we say in cancer, there's no point in having protected time if you don't have enough people. <laughs> you know, like you can protect time all you want, but if there's patients sitting in front of oncologists, that's their priority. You know, they, you know, so, you know, it's it's quite entrepreneurial, I'd say, nearly for for a lot of that that attitude that's out there with the clinical researchers in Ireland. Very often they they're doing it on top of their day job, um. So there's a passion for research, you know, which which you want to encourage. But how do we make it like is that a conversation that's happening within the HSE about, you know, how we make this part of the job, doing research, reaching certain targets, seeing a certain number of patients per site on 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 trials should be and how we measure the success of a hospital? Well, the conversation has commenced, uh, I guess. So I, I am involved with the National Cancer Control Program in the, the National Cancer um, Strategy. So there is a, a, a pillar there about research. So I'm part of the, the, the research uh, working group. And so the conversation had actually started before COVID, but stopped there for nearly 18 months. But that uh, conversation had started again. And, and that will definitely be discussed as part of that group. But I, you're right. I suppose they, you can only have, you know, free time for research if, if there is enough doctors to, you know, to cover the, the clinical duties. So it is a difficult problem to resolve in, in the context of a health service that is under pressure, you know. But certainly insofar as I can influence anything you know i will definitely be supporting it uh, so one of the pillars of the action plan for health research is capacity building so capacity building means again to have mechanisms sometimes you have the funding and you have the doctor but you don't have the mechanism you know to release somebody from their duties and to replace them with something else you know so a lot of the key problems are mechanistical you know and and about lack of understanding of of, of people in 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 maybe in other roles that they don't because there isn't a system to, to make this happen that a system cannot be created so sometimes it's about creating the system so yeah. that they can be used 100% I suppose it's it's an issue that's obviously always come up but we more recently had a, a retreat in May an online cancer retreat uh, I know you were part of it and it was a big discussion amongst our, our doctors a lot of them have you know a lot of Irish oncologists and radiation oncologists they try they go and train in America most of them and um, some go to the UK some go to Canada um, and, and they do that as part of the the journey of of you know the, that journey to get a, a consultant post in Ireland you know you need to show that you've you've worked abroad and you've done you've reached a level of excellence in research and, and they do that and they come home <laughs> Um, but then the, the the infrastructure that's been in place in those other 
you know, global leading sites, you know, isn't here. Yet we have the people who have all of those networks and connections, you know. So I suppose that's a that's a question that we're going to take on again at our next uh, stakeholder meeting in October. And where some of our younger SPRs who are training to be oncologists are going to talk about, you know, what we could be doing in Ireland to progress that learning as well. But but at the back of all of this is how do we ensure people have time to do research? And by the way, Anna, not everyone wants to do research, but in cancer, it's a big thing, you know, because there's a lot of because there people are looking, the doctors are looking at patients where they know trials are, are the best option, you know. Yeah, and I suppose that's why organizations that have research uh, embedded as part of what they do, they deliver better care because uh, those organizations succeed in attracting best staff you know so you attract a different type of staff because i think uh, staff who obviously i totally understand there is staff who don't want to do research and that's perfectly fine but when when you have a a, a, a proportion of your staff who are engaged in research i think it brings a different dynamic to the service there is more innovation there is more willingness to 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 try new things and and to to use the latest knowledge, you know, to to provide the care that you're meant to be providing. Uh, so I, I would really uh, hope that by putting in the the building blocks, you know, that eventually the culture will change. And I I I don't I'm I'm, I'm I suppose I don't have any uh, clear cut answers to any of your questions. You know when is this gonna happen? When uh, <laughs> my 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 job is very uh it's very slow. I have to say it's really tremendously slow. It's like trying to turn a big tanker. You know one of those You're ocean the big liners. Ship around, exactly. <laughs> uh, how do you do that? You, but you do it very slowly, and there is no other way to do it. Unfortunately, you know. But, but I think but at least it has started to move. <laughs> it's starting to move. And I appreciate your honesty on that, because I think that's the most important when we're having these conversations as a group. And I've always appreciated that about you, Anna, is, is you're, you're setting the expectations and you're being truthful about where we are and, and how, you know, it is going to take time to, to turn the ship. And um, I suppose within that, you know, I think of people like, you know, Vicky Phelan and and other uh, patients that we've met in Cancer Trials Ireland who've who've made the decision to travel to to go on clinical trials, because you know the those early phase trials aren't really happening in Ireland. You know, and the unfortunate thing is, I'm working with with doctors who have worked on those early phase trials in the US in in centres, big centres like the National Cancer Institute. And we've just signed, a, a, Ireland has just signed a memorandum of understanding, our Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and Minister in the North, Robin Swan, and, and Ned Sharpless, the Director of NCI. It's a great hope amongst the community that we'll get to a point where we can facilitate those early phase trials. And I suppose that's where we need to talk to you, Anna, um, about and get advice as well about how we, we manage that um, from, from the risk point of view and the conversations about risk that will happen um, within sites. But, you know, what's your view on that? Can, can Ireland achieve that? Can we be really innovative in cancer research and in clinical research? I think we can. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, as I said, you know, but I, I think we can. I mean, Ireland is sufficiently small and sufficiently 
so we have a strong relationships as well with our academic partners. I mean, we can't do it in Ireland, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be very disappointed. You know, we, we are sufficiently small to create that power in numbers. You know, we, we can, we need to work together. We work with what we have. And, and there is a lot of things that we, that we need. Uh, but we have the health research board, you know, it's, it's a key piece of the equation. You have, uh, my unit as well, which I suppose I, sometimes I feel like an infiltrated <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but it is a very, even though it's small, you know, it is, yeah. it's already bringing the message about research and clinical research to where, where it needs to be heard, you know, and we also have the department. So I think those three legs of the stool are very important in the national picture, you know, to, to make things happen for, for, to enable those uh, clinical trials and to enable clinical trials in general. And I am hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Well, that's, it's good to hear because, you know, I certainly think about Vicky and I think about Pat Smullen, the famous jockey who did so much for Cancer Trials Ireland, raised two and a half million for us to run pancreatic cancer trials in Ireland. And we're, and we're doing that. But I suppose, you know, you want as a country to be able to to do more at home. And, and I know we, we can't. We're small. We can't do everything, but we can certainly try when we've got some of the expertise here because we do have it here you know we have really good uh, people working in oncology who've worked at the, at this level and, to, and and I suppose what my my point here is patients are really driving a lot of of the demands now aren't they mm, you know? absolutely yeah yeah and, and and that's something that you need to think about you know like the, mm. the research governance framework has the patient at the center of it you know even though it's all uh, very, sometimes you read it it's kind of very practical in terms of we need to have this done and we need to have this done but the ultimate objective is to to see the seeds to be able to offer those trials to patients so it wouldn't be fantastic to have a system where you could tell your patient listen there is a trial available for you here you don't have to go the US, you don't have to go anywhere. It's here for you. And I mean, it can be done. It's a, you know, you set up the infrastructure, right? Yeah. Then the rest follows, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and I agree with that. And I suppose that's what we're all trying to do is change that conversation in the, in the surgery between the doctor and the patient where the doctor sometimes says, you know, it's, there's nothing more we can do. And, and, we want that conversation to be actually there's a trial uh, and it's running and we're we're doing it and and that's supposed the hope that we would have. I, I think it's important also for for the general public to understand about research and to demand, you know, because the the public in itself they are a great pillar of strength, you know. If there is a demand and the people understand what research can bring to the equation and they want it, you know, then there is another voice uh, to this equation that can work with us to make things happen, you know. And we've certainly, we've reached out and done some research on on where the public attitudes are now, you know, 10 years on since I posey did a similar. And they're very high people, you know, the public over 80% support clinical research activity in Ireland and support being involved in it themselves, you know, and, and even that attitude has shifted. So I'd like to think people, you know, there's a lot of very high profile patients out there in public organisations that have raised the profile and I think COVID has helped. The, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, from an innovative point of view and innovation, um, 
you know, we were really well set up to attract a lot of, you know, industry, biotech, pharma to come here and, and, and be really, you know, encouraged to do their research within our hospital sites. Are we, you know, within the research governance framework, are we thinking about that? Is that part of the discussion? How do we make things easier to do research here from because that in itself is is there's an economic impact here as well isn't there well absolutely i mean the same they applies the to to research that is commercially funded uh, the research government like uh, when i talk to 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 the the commercial sector the first thing they say is that everything is really complicated you know just to get things up and running so complex that they prefer to go to other countries you know um so as, as I said, you know, one of the, um, um, I suppose, the structures that we need to put in place uh, to coordinate the research governance within site is the, the research office, okay, within hospitals. So in, in academic institutions, they are familiar with the research office uh, as the, the place where, you know, the, these research projects are approved before they go out for extended funding. But in the hospital, the research office is a different, I suppose, animal. It will be the place where, where A, you can offer support to staff, but B, where you can coordinate uh, the processes of research governance so that the idea, we want to roll out a, an electronic uh, research management system so that the application to the research ethics committee happens online and it will have another set of questions that will enable the research office to determine what processes of research governance need to be applied to that project, you know, so it will enable the coordination with the data protection office, with the legal, with the whatever. And, and that would be amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's the plan. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's great vision. Anna, how do you, <laughs> how do you do this job um, and, and keep going? You know, what do you do in your downtime? <laughs> And um, is, is there a good book or TV show or or what? What I know, I know you're 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 like myself. You're you're on your bike when we're back at the office. I see you um, arriving in with a cycle helmet on you. Is that is that what you do to kind of wind down when you're trying to turn that big ship around? Yeah, I'm a very uh, lover of the outdoors. I guess so. I really need yeah. to get out uh, of the house, especially now that I've been working from home for so long. The weekends, I just can't wait to get out here and just go. I love walking just go to you know to the forest or go to the to the beach I have a one of those inflatable paddle boards and oh, very good. <laughs> we like to go and do a few paddles here and there any any type of outdoors activities I like it um and, well I'll have to get yeah. you out someday in a, in a kayak because that's what I do <laughs> to kind of is is hop on the canal or the Liffey and, and go really? for a paddle oh yes. you know what I think I actually saw you the other day Did yeah, you? I, was, I was cycling yeah I was cycling in the canal with my husband yes. and I saw three people in a in a kayak yeah and that I, was me I said to my husband <laughs> I swear that looks awful like Evelyn <laughs> trying to keep up with two lads uh yeah that yeah, was yeah. me <laughs> Brilliant. Very good. There you someday, go. Smart world. That is so funny. And isn't that what Ireland is all about, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. You can, that's that's exactly it, you know. If we can do this in Ireland, we the, this yeah. cannot be done. Yeah, yeah, like there there we were here we are doing a podcast and you saw me paddling on the canal, <laughs> I will not let those boys beat me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. So, Listen, that it's just been wonderful to talk to you and, and you know, 
we will support um your office and the HSE research. We can we know what you're trying to do and we want to really help, uh, you know, lend a hand to turn the ship and really create that vision that I know you have, Anna, um, which is really about patience. So thank you so much for, for sharing this. I hope I really hope to everybody who's listening that this has been it's certainly been an education for me and, and I know you're open to questions uh, down the road Anna, and you're always very good at, at coming to our events as well and and listening to our members. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think the key about what we're trying to do is not, I'm not trying to do it on my own. We're all trying to do it. So it's about really working together. And uh, sometimes you need to put aside your personal, you know, interest and just work with people for, for, yeah. for a largest, you know, the reward, you know, the national yeah. reward, I suppose. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Anna.